0: Welcome to Fat Muscle Project, your home for building your best physique. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fat Muscle Project podcast. I'm John Gorman, your host. We've got a very, very special guest today, Allison Fairbalk. We're just going to call you Allie because you go by Allie for short. What's going on? How are you?
1: I am good. And I'm so excited to be here, John. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. This is one of those podcast episodes where, you know, we've talked a little bit about stuff like this on our sister podcast, Elite Physique University, myself, Jason Theobald, Kayla, but we're starting to branch out here with fat muscle and it's good to go back and break things down. This is almost like an introductory episode and you're the perfect person to have on. So we can talk about blood work and the importance of it. But before we get into that, why don't you let everybody know just a little bit about yourself? I've known of you, haven't really got to meet you and hang out or anything, but I've known of you and and watched a lot of your outstanding work over the years. Just kind of give our listeners a little bit more about about Allie.
1: Yeah. So I'm a natural figure pro. I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I'm the owner of revive wellness, which is a health and physique coaching online coaching company. Um, I'm an FDNP, which is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and a certified health coach. And I have my bachelor's degree in exercise science. So I kind of I guess I originally started on more of the personal training side of things, probably like so many coaches. Um, my initial initial work was done in person in a gym, um, yes. hands-on with clients. <laughs> yep. um, and then kind of through bodybuilding, I really fell in love with nutrition and the power that nutrition had to change how your physique looks. And then furthermore, as I just sort of encountered my own health struggles throughout the throughout the years, I got even more interested in the functional side of things and in how nutrition can not just impact how you look, but how you feel and function on a daily basis. Um, I don't always like to say, you know, nutrition is medicine or food is medicine, but we know that food and nutrition and lifestyle can be powerful modulators of how we look and feel and function on a daily basis. And so I just got really interested in that. And I've been a coach for 16 years now. So
0: yeah, I can, I can call us both old on the podcast. That's okay. Even though I believe you're 39, (laughs) if I remember right. Um, Yeah,
1: I'm 39, but you know, my training age is like really old. Like I started training when I was like 17 or 18. So like my training age is old. And then I started coaching In 2007 was when I first started coaching online. So that makes me old in that space too, because that's like pre-social media. That was like my space in the forums. Yeah. The
0: (laughs) the message boards. So I'm the same way. I started off as a personal trainer in 2007 And, uh, you know, it's interesting because everything you just said, I think a lot of our listeners can relate to because they got into physique enhancement, essentially, whether it's competitive bodybuilding it, to me, it's all bodybuilding, either competitive bodybuilding or bodybuilding, Uh, whether you compete or not, you know, we're all athletes and bodybuilders and, you know, to understand what nutrition and supplementation, all that stuff does to the body. I was the same way. I was a super nerd about it, but now... You're probably the same way then when it comes to understanding how that stuff impacts labs and how you can use Uh natural supplementation, diet, different approaches to fix a lot of functional health issues. And that's what we're going to start to dive into today. Uh, when did you start to get into the functional side? I, I know you got your certification because you sent me the link to it because I was very yeah. interested to in looking into that. And I think we should post that in the show notes, by the way, yeah. um, I'll, I'll make sure that I have that in the show notes. That's interesting. When did you start really delving
1: down this side of the industry? Um. So in 2010 or 2011, I started having gut issues. Um, just unexplainable gut issues. And at that time I went down all of the conventional channels, right? I went to my PCP. I went to the gastroenterologist. I had the colonoscopy. I had the endoscopy. I had the testing for celiac. And I was basically sent away with a diagnosis of IBS and told to take Linz S and eat a low FODMAP diet. Yeah. And I was like, And me, you know, growing up, I was always that, that kid who wanted to know why. So I'm like, well, why is my bowel irritable? Right. Like what, what is causing my bowel to be irritable? And that was really the catalyst for me because I went away from that feeling very defeated through conventional channels and very self-motivated to learn as much as I possibly could on my own about gut health and about what I could do on my own to correct what I was experiencing. And that just sort of, I mean, that just propelled me forward, right? Then it was not just gut health, then it was hormone imbalances. Then it was, you know, just all the things. And in 2020, ironically, right, with COVID, um, I decided to go back to school. And so I went back to school. I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York, and i got my certification through them and then i went back through them you have to do like a 6 month um intensive curriculum to sit for your boards so i went and i did that and i sat for my boards and i got board certified to be a health coach but i still really wanted they really covered the nutrition and lifestyle piece i still wanted more of the functional piece i wanted more of the testing piece yes. and so that's when i went that's when i went to fdn and i got my fdnp and i and i went through that and truthfully, most of it was already stuff I had known. And the same would probably be true if you went through it, John, right? Because you've just, you've taken it upon yourself to educate yourself. Right. And that's sort of where I was anyway. But now I have the certification to stand on, which is always very nice to have. And, so.
0: and, and before we get into this, let people know their there advantages to having that certification, their advantages to this program. That's why I want to look into it you can order labs for clients, correct? Like I correct. can I can just recommend, hey, I need you to go get these labs so I can take a look at things. I think yes. we probably should understand, people should understand like what you're able to do because it's, it's pretty yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, so I work in sort of like a two-tier capacity with clients. Um, the first is, yes, I do still have clients who come to me and they strictly just want help with nutrition and training, right? They just want to be... They just want to discuss the exercise and food piece. Completely okay. I respect that. But then I also have a more intensive coaching track in which I step into the client's life in more of a FDNP role and more of a functional role and helping them either create good health or maintain good health. By running labs, doing testing, Um, I can order, you know, GI maps or stool tests or saliva tests or blood spot tests or lab work or serum work. And so I can actually work one-to-one with clients and help them in that capacity, which I have loved doing. And I have also found, you know, a lot of people want that because a lot of people, even if they have a primary care physician, and we can get into this in like just a minute, um, there's a difference between interpreting lab work as a conventionally trained physician and then interpreting lab work as a functional practitioner. Yeah. So there are two different sets of values that we look at, and we have two different intentions even when looking at lab work. So if a conventional doctor is looking at your labs, they're looking to diagnose disease. Right. They're not looking to create optimal health. Um, So functional lab ranges, reference ranges, somebody who's trained to look at labs through a functional lens is looking at a very narrow set of ranges because we're looking for what's optimal, not just for what's acceptable. And a lot of clients, you know, like myself, and I told you, you know, when I went to a gastro and it was kind of like I didn't get what I needed through conventional medicine, I run into so many clients who have felt the same way in seeking answers for their own health concerns through conventional medicine. And so that's where I think offering clients um, this service or outlet um, is really beneficial, specifically for physique enthusiasts, because we are so much harder on our bodies than the average person.
0: Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. And you've got some great show notes put together. I know you're going to kind of take the reins and we're going to ping pong all these topics kind of off of each other and give yeah. our thoughts. So you just go ahead and take the reins and 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 lead on.
1: Yeah. So I already sort of discussed just very briefly that there's a difference between functional blood chemistry and conven- and the way in which a conventional doctor is going to go through your labs. And when you get lab work back and you see those reference ranges, those reference ranges are calculated, calibrated based on the average person. So as the population of the country gets sicker and sicker, we get these broader and broader and broader and broader averages, right? So like, you know, just for example, for, I don't know, blood glucose, you might be looking at a range of like, I don't know, 60 something to like 100 and something or 90 something on a conventional lab but if you're looking at functional reference ranges you're looking at this very narrow like 70 to 80 or 70 to 85 it's super narrow. Yeah. Same with if you look at hormones specifically testosterone that's one where like for women the range in conventional is like 0.01 to like 50. Right. That's huge. You know, if you're looking at a functional range, you're looking at between like 15 and 45, right? You've got this much more narrow range of what's optimal. And I feel like a lot of clients go to conventional doctors. They don't feel well. They know something's off. Their body composition isn't what they want it to be. They don't feel or function their best their doctor looks at their labs and says, Oh, well you're normal because you're within this range, but they're still not optimal. They're not feeling optimal. So when a doctor looks at your, at your reference ranges, they're looking to diagnose disease. When I look at somebody's labs, I'm looking at what can I do to optimize their health and then therefore to optimize the physique, which is why I think blood work is so important for physique athletes, because We know that internal or underlying dysfunction eventually manifests externally. So if you're not taking a look under the hood, so to speak, the car is not going to run properly. The same is true when you go into the gym, you're not going to be properly positioned to maximize your muscle gain or your fat loss efforts, or even your strength and power efforts if you're a performance athlete if your underlying systems are dysfunctional if there's dysfunction in the body and so it's really important i think to periodically check under the hood and see what's going on um so i don't know what you think john but you know how do you feel about blood work and is it something that you require for clients is it something that you like to see clients do it's
0: it's something that i hate to say require but yeah you know i require my athletes specifically, you know, competitive bodybuilders or someone's very serious about physique enhancement to, if they're going to trust me, they need to let me look at lab work. So if someone's just got off, you know, competing in a show, right. I know the labs are going to be really, really bad right after a contest prep, because (laughs) you've been through hell, your body's overreached, your body fat's really low, especially for females. It's It's essentially really hard on them. Um, so I know that things are going to be out of whack towards the end of a prep, but now if someone's looking to move into an off season, they're looking to put on new muscle, they're looking to improve. There's a period of time where we have to let the hormones come back to normal or try and get back to normal. And I like to test, and I know we'll talk more about this a little bit later on, but you know, for example, four months after a a contest prep, I like to check my athletes to make sure their hormones, specifically things like testosterone, for example, are back in a range. Because if they're not, they're not have, they're not going to be able to have a good off season and they're not going to be able to prep again in the future, diet again in the future. So for physique athletes, it's super, super important. And I started to really realize this quite some time ago when I would have people, you know, when I first started coaching bodybuilders, it was probably around 2009, 2010, I would have people come on board that would do a show in the fall and they would hire me right after their show. We would have a short off-season, and then they wanted to start prepping in the spring for shows in May, for example. And I didn't know any better. And by the way, there's people listening to this. You don't know better. You you just don't know. You're not stupid. You just wow. don't know. And I didn't know either. But I started to notice once I did that with people time after time, it became harder to diet them. Well, like you said, looking under hood, they were dysfunctional. They had a couple spark plugs that were bad. Like we needed to replace right. Spark plugs, like we needed to change oil, like we needed to do all these things. So for them, yes. Now for Gen Pop, um, still physique enthusiasts, because like I said, I consider anyone that, that trains, you know, three, four, five days a week, you're an athlete. There's a lot of people, especially the older we get, they have such a long dieting history that there's usually some dysfunction. And I notice the older we get, the older our client bases tend to get, they have more dysfunction. So if I have a, a female that comes to me, she's 38 and she's kind of yo-yo dieted over the years, which most of us have, because we're all trying to be leaner all the time. The older you get, the more of a dieting history you have and the more issues you may have versus a 21 year old female who's maybe dieted, you know, she gained the freshman 15 or whatever, and she's trying to diet once. I don't worry too much about her labs right out of the gate. I worry about teaching her how yeah. to stick to a diet and things like that. So I I do require blood work when I think it's essential. Um, And I think coaches in that situation, especially if you're an older coach, you're going to get people more your age. You're going to have to look at it at some point or you're actually, I I think, Allie a lot of people cause problems and they don't realize it. A lot of coaches do because they, they over diet people and they're dieting them when they're in a state of being very sick so to speak, low testosterone, things like that. So long, long answer for me, but it's super, super important.
1: Yeah. So I don't require blood work either. Um, but I do encourage it or recommend it. If I think like based on, Context. I I hate saying context is key, but context is key. So, for example, if I have a woman who's come to me and I'm talking to her, I'm onboarding her, and she's got all these symptoms or these health issues. And let's say her diet is also kind of crappy and she's not sleeping really well, and there's a lot of stress in her life. I may think to myself, okay, let's start with those things and see if we can improve how she looks, feels, and functions from there. And then, if we need to order labs, then we will but on the flip side man if i have somebody like me whose diet is on point who sleeps 7 to 8 hours a night who you know manages all these all of these lifestyle factors and they're still having symptoms i'm going to be honest right out of the gate and say look in order for me to best design a program for you and best guide your process, I need to know what's going on. I don't want to just randomly like guess and throw a bunch of shit at the wall and hope something sticks. (laughs) I want to know exactly what I'm doing. And in order for me to best do that, hey, I think we need to run some labs here. Um, I think we need to get a look under the hood. Um, So typically the blood work that I like to see physique enthusiasts look at specifically and then I want to hear what you, what you think as well, John, but like, I like looking at you know, a comprehensive or a complete, um, complete blood count, um, comprehensive metabolic profile. Um, I like looking at hormones, um, specifically with women. <laughs> um, I also like looking at the thyroid a lot and I am really a big fan of fasting insulin. Um, not to be confused with fasting glucose, um, because I think fasting insulin is one of the most accurate tests available to d- to detect a trend towards pre-diabetes right Yeah I call it the pre I call it the pre-pre-diabetes test because it measures your insulin levels which typically become imbalanced before you will see like an A1c or um, a blood glucose become imbalanced. So I really like looking at fasting insulin especially if I've got somebody who's like, Got unexplained weight gain or a little bit of what I consider to be metabolic resistance. I'm like, man, I don't really want to look at glucose. I really want to look at that insulin. Um, so what do you like to look at when you look at labs, John?
0: Same, same thing. Um, you know, the CMP, the CBC, like those are super important. And you know, I've got a couple of labs here pulled up here. I know we're probably gonna go down the list and talk about some of the very important markers to look at and the ranges. Um, but starting with, you know, when people go to the doctor, I, I send my clients a list of like, hey, here's everything that I need to see. Make sure if your doctor's going to do it, they're going to get all these things. And there's a lot of times doctors are like, no, I'm not getting a complete thyroid panel. Yeah. Like I'm going to get yep. TSH, for example. I know we'll talk more about that in, in a little bit. But I like to see all those things. And then I like to see a few extra I like to have them add things like reverse T3 and TPOAB, yeah. the antibodies for the thyroid, because it gives us a complete snapshot, but it also tells us there might be some issues there pointed towards cortisol and you know sex hormone binding globule. And that's one that I want to make sure when we look at you know testosterone levels, we're looking at not just total testosterone, we're looking at free testosterone because that's extremely important for physique enhancement um but if something's off with free test you know we need to see sex hormone binding globulin and a lot of these things start to give me clues to what's going on and i'll just most of the time it's 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 a cortisol chronically elevated cortisol level that's causing a lot of the issues and this starts to at least point me in that direction on how to address cortisol so i like to get all those things all the way down to vitamin D, you know, it's normally that is one of the last things that you see, but it's super important, especially if you live up north um, where it's a little colder and, you know, the winters are long and it's dark at five o'clock and you're just not outside a lot. Um, so I get all those things that you said. Plus, you know, I make sure that we always get a little extra and sometimes it's just hard to get your doc doesn't want to recommend those or they they don't want to justify it. So I, I have a list and, and it's in the show notes where people can go to life extension. You can just order your labs right there. Um where do you normally send people if their doctor's not going to cooperate, where do you send them to get labs? How do you do that?
1: Um I usually do it. I just do it myself and I will actually like just cherry pick sometimes. So like if I do have a client who let's say they're just specifically concerned about their thyroid, they're not concerned about anything else or I suspect thyroid issues, I yeah. will just order a complete thyroid panel. Like I will just order you know TSH T4 T3 free T3 free T4 reverse T3 like I will just do all that myself and just order that so I can kind of cherry pick it yeah but as a general rule of thumb you know when I just in general for anybody listening to this I recommend that you get you know a comprehensive metabolic profile and a complete blood count get a good look at your thyroid at least once a year specifically if you're female um low energy availability man, there was just a study that came out the other day. I just threw it up on my stories on social on, um on uh, Instagram came out that in just like four days of low energy availability, a female's thyroid starts to tank and it starts to manifest in, in um her ability to retain lean muscle. So like the thyroid takes a hit so quickly with women. So I really like to. I, that's like a big be in my bonnet with women, like check your thyroid at least once a year, check your hormones at least once a year and consider getting like a CBC, CMP one to two times a year. I just consider that to be like, that should be routine. Like, I think that should just be something that you routinely do. I wish I had done it in my twenties. Unfortunately, at that time, people weren't talking about this. It wasn't really well known. Um, so I would still say even now, because a lot of times people will say, well, well, you know, I don't have any labs from before I started doing this. I don't know what my levels should be that are optimal. doesn't matter. It's never a bad time to get blood work and still continue to monitor it. But if you are listening to this and you are in your twenties and you think this doesn't matter for you maybe it doesn't matter now as much because you're younger, but when you get to be older, you will be able to look back on those values that you had prior to all of the dieting and the lifting and all the things. And you'll be able to know, you know, maybe what your levels were and what were optimal for you. And you can kind of compare.
0: Um, hey, I agree hundred percent. It, yeah. It's one of those things I'll, I'll also add there, there, you're talking about doing it young and a lot of stuff you'll see 10, 20 years down the road. If if you do have a problem going on in your 25, by the time you get to 35, 40, 45, now you've had such a chronic issue. They, it can cause yeah. a, lot of, a lot of things like low testosterone to where you have to yeah. be on HRT and, and hormone replacement and yeah. thyroid issues. Like a lot of that stuff, if you can catch it early, especially being someone that diets, right? competition or not, it doesn't matter. We're all in the, we're all in the cyclical dieting world. Um, It causes a lot of issues and you have to make sure after you diet that you get your body back to a healthy state. Like the goal to me of physique enhancement, not competitive body, but physique enhancements to be as lean and muscular as you can be and get to that place where you're healthy all at the same time. It's not about just a look. It's about how do you walk around and maintain that? So I I have a, a female client. We just dieted her down to a pretty lean body fat level, but not a competition lean, obviously, because that's not maintainable. And people need to understand when you see people compete and they're shredded, guys and girls, like you're not going to be able to walk around that way unless you're just like one of the 1% of 1% of the genetically elite. So whenever I diet someone to be pretty lean and they just want to maintain a better looking physique, I always check labs. I said to this lady, I said, Hey, let's check your labs. Now it's been about a month since your diet, you're up a couple pounds, which is not much, but you're still pretty lean. Let's check your labs and let's see where you're at. And lo and behold, her testosterone came back on a scale of zero to 50. It came back at about a 15 and that's wow. the lower end of the range that, that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I said, Hey, let's let's give this another another month or so and let's give it a little time and let's see if it continues to improve but if it comes back this is this is labs telling us that your body should not be this lean for this long like we we, we need to put yeah. a little bit of body fat back on and if i didn't check that what would happen now if she strived to stay that lean for a year she's probably going to have issues with testosterone she's probably going to end up very low testosterone and on hrt right So that to me is a perfect example of, Hey, you really need to check labs and you need to get them done. Like you said, one to two times a year, I think is, is, is outstanding, but post diet, depending on the severity of the diet is really, really important.
1: Yeah. And if you're competing too, I always recommend get them at least once while you're healthy as well, like off season like so that you have a baseline to compare it to post contest right so you want to always look at it when you're really healthy and then you want to look at it after you've competed so you can see the discrepancy and then you know what needs to be corrected so yeah if you're a competitor um for sure you need to be on on top of it in my opinion and especially i think especially if you're natural because the body takes so much of a hit um especially natural females um, and that would even be, you know, that was something else I kind of wanted to discuss was, you know, since we each run labs with clients, you know, what are some of the markers we, we frequently see as being off <laughs> as, as yeah. not being optimal? Um, I know for myself, I very frequently see low progesterone or a low, um, EG to E2 ratio with women, a little bit of estrogen dominance. I very frequently see, um, suboptimal or depressed thyroid function, and this can manifest in a couple of ways, but so like maybe high reverse T3 or low free T3 due to stress or poor conversion in the liver. Um, I also very often see, and these are like two lesser known markers, but like high total protein and low globulin, which can both kind of indicate gut inflammation, um, liver issues, um, and like low hydrochloric acid production, which is super common with athletes or specifically bodybuilders. Cause we're eating such a high protein diet off season. We're overfeeding, which can deplete HCL. And then when we're chronically dieting, we're under eating, which can deplete HCL. So I, those are some of the ones that I see, but I'm, I'm curious, John, you know, what are some of the markers you see that are typically tend to be off consistently when you run labs for clients?
0: Yeah. So I will be all over the place. So I've got a set of labs pulled up here. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go down and I figure I would talk about some of the ones that I see, and then I'll I'll get your take on them. um, If that works for you, Uh, I'm just going to start at the top glucose, you know, with the CMP, CBC, and all these, you know, we'll, we'll see some of the stuff right at the top. So once if someone's looking at their labs as they're listening to the show, glucose is always the first thing that pops up and it's it's usually, and that's the thing that I look at right away. I always recommend clients get their labs done first thing in the morning, fasted. Um, And this is important, especially for testosterone levels, because your testosterone levels tank as the days, as the day goes on. So if you get your testosterone measured first thing in the morning, it's, it's peaked. And then as the day goes on, you know, you can see things drop, you know, for guys up to 200 points, if it's done at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I've seen that mistake made to where someone came back to me. I had a a guy that I was helping his testosterone was like two ninety, and he had had it measured at three o'clock in the afternoon. He went back and had it measured in the mornings and it was like 590. So it was a huge, huge yeah, difference. You know, he didn't difference. have, to, yeah, he didn't have to worry about HRT. So anyway, first thing in the morning fasted and glucose is always up there at the top. Now the ranges on this set of labs say between 70 and hundred, as we know, hundred and above is supposedly pre-diabetic um, hundred and above is not good. But the only thing that I can see here that sometimes shows up screwy is sometimes first thing in the morning, you know, there's the dawn phenomenon. So like you wake up, cortisol is trying to wake you up. Your blood sugar goes up just a little. Sugars might be a little bit high by the time you go get your lab. So this is one to me that can show up a little screwy. You can be upper 90s to where if you measured this, you know, three or four hours after eating a carb-based meal, you just measured your blood glucose, you might be 80 and you might be okay. So this is one I generally don't worry too much about unless it's really high. Like if it's well over a hundred first thing in the morning, that means that there's some insulin sensitivity issues and that's a whole pie. We're not going to go down the rabbit hole of each one of these. Cause we'll do like a three hour podcast. Um, so I do see that one pop up a little screwy, um, sometimes, um, what about, oh, okay. So here's, here's an interesting one. Uh, let's, let's talk about bun, uh, creatinine creatinine, however people want to say it. Um, those tend to, those are right under those tend to typically pop up high. And I generally see to me, a lot of it's hydration, you know, you you can't get super hydrated first thing in the morning. If you're taking fasted labs, I mean, you haven't had water all night. You're you, I always tell people try and get a couple shakers in you if you can, but if you drink too much water too fast, you're going to start, start peeing out anyway. So Are you seeing bun and creatinine and things like that? Are you seeing that show up high for people like us?
1: Yeah, I do. And you know, creatinine that can also be large amounts of red meat that can also be creatine supplement. So that's one of those issues too, where as a coach I'm talking to the client, are you taking creatine? Are you eating a lot of red meat? Like, you know, before somebody sounds the five gun alarm and is like, Oh my God, my kidneys. And they start freaking out. You always just want to look at the low hanging fruit first to be like, Hey, were you hydrated? Um, you know, is the diet really like super high in protein? Are you eating a lot of red meat? Are you taking a creatine supplement? Okay. Could be that. And then if the client's super concerned, I will be like, don't take your creatine supplement for two weeks. Nix the red meat for a couple of weeks and then go back and get them retested if you're concerned. Um but if the client's not concerned, yeah. It just I think it's kind of just one of those markers where it tends to be a marker that's flagged as high because again, the demands that we're putting on our body and the lifestyle that we're leading and living as physique enthusiasts is not average. It yeah. just isn't. Yeah. So these these clinical ranges, they're they're calculated on. National averages, and we're not the average. So I just continuously want to remind clients of that. That when you look at these markers, and some of these things are screwy, some of them are going to be wonky because we don't live the same type of lifestyle as the average
0: person. And and we're more muscular, so that's another thing with creatinine. Yep. Um, your levels tend to be higher based on muscle mass. Like we just have more muscle mass than the average person walking around. And you know, there's one other thing that's a marker on here. It's called eGFR. It's your kidney filtration rate. That's the yep. other thing when you look at, um, you know, if your bun's high, creatinine's high, and like those things consistently come back high and your EGFR is low, which mm-hmm. most ranges say below 60 is not good. That's your kidneys filtration rate. If you're someone that mine's actually pretty low, like mine's 63 and low, low clinically is below 60. I have a lot of my clients like this one I'm looking at here, their EGFR, their filtration rate's hundred that's outstanding. If your filtration rate's good, you probably don't have a lot to worry about, but if you're worried, no. talk to your doctor. And that's the thing I tell people all the time. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm your I'm your nutrition coach, right? So I, I'm not going to tell you, oh, hey, your kidneys and everything, you're fine. But that is a clue. And that's a way for you to look at this because even a regular doctor isn't a kidney specialist. So this is something I typically don't worry too awful much about just based on the things that you said. Um yeah. I'm going to jump down here and throw this one to you. Um AST, ALT, that's the liver yeah. enzymes. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I see that come back, not usually like massively high, that to me could be an issue, but just but-
1: like a little, like a little over.
0: Is that what and you're saying? Always,
1: yeah, just like a hair and I always Tell people, yeah, if it's a concern, take a week off from training, go back and get them done again. Because, I mean, the hard training elevates those. Yes. And it can elevate it for up to like several days afterwards. So that's why I'm saying you need to take a week off. Like, if it's really a concern for you, then don't get your blood drawn right in the middle of like a really hard training block. If you are willing to accept that, Hey, these might be a little bit elevated because of my hard training, then that's probably, that's the most likely reason why they're, they're really high or, um, a little bit high, excuse me. Now, if they're really high, like way high, then I get a little bit concerned about liver function. Um, And then that's something I will usually tell them to go talk to their doctor about. You may want to get an ultrasound of the liver, take a look at the liver make sure that the organ is functioning properly. Um, but usually I see it just to trigger hair over like a teeny weeny bit.
0: Yeah. I tell my folks uh, definitely don't train the day of your labs. Don't train right before. It. And I think most people get that. I tell them to take the day off prior to labs too, but you're mm-hmm. right. If someone had this giant, massive leg day, two days prior, they could see some elevated liver still See
1: some elevated.
0: Yep. And, yep. you know, I, I think most of us listening to the show, they're not drinkers, um, but somebody that has yeah. a, like a long history of drinking alcohol, and maybe now you're new to, new to the physique enhancement lifestyle, you know, some of that stuff could be lingering, um, just some yeah. issues there. So, you know, taking Good a point. lot of supplements is, is tough on the liver. Like it just is. Good so,
1: point. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I like that's, I see that a lot. Somebody who's pounding a crap load of supplements taking a lot, especially pills. So I'm talking about like, it's something where your liver actually in your body has to like break apart that capsule and metabolize it. And your liver has to filter all that high supplementation can elevate liver values. Yes. So glad you said that hands down. And
0: and we're a supplement company. I I don't care. Like it's, it's one of those things. And some people totally fine. Most of us totally fine. Take the supplements you need, but If Mm -hmm. your, if your values are super, super high, then look at all these little keys that we've kind of just pointed out. And maybe you need to take a break from your supplements for a while. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, That to me is, is, is not a bad thing. Um, Okay. So, all right, here's a fun one. Um, I see this a lot. Now, most of our people listening are not going to be on HRT. They're, they're, they're going to be natural. Very few are actually going to be what I would call super assisted. And that's beyond HRT. Um, right. but hematocrit comes back yep. and that's blood thickness. Um, it's something, so I'm on HRT. It's something that I have to watch my blood thickness and I have to donate blood every about eight weeks is when you can do it. Um, you regenerate new red blood cells. And the thing you need to be careful with is if your hematocrit's high, your blood thickness is high. That puts you yes. at a great risk for things like stroke. And I like to pair that up and look at my red blood cell count. So if red blood cells are, they don't have to be high, like over the range, but if they're in the higher part of the range, they're the stickier, a little thicker uh, part of your blood. If you have thick blood and your red blood cell counts high, you're just at a greater risk for stroke. And it's yes. one of those things I see that with folks that are on HRT come back high quite often. I don't see it a lot in people who are not on HRT or assisted. What What do you yeah, see no, me your end?
1: I see it in people who are... Yeah, people who take HRT, um specifically testosterone replacement therapy, um cuz when I when we say HRT, we could theoretically be talking about estrogen and progesterone replacement therapy as well, but Good I point. specifically yeah. see it with with I specifically see it with TRT. Yep. So yep. testosterone replacement therapy and it's definitely a concern. If I see it, I'm like go give blood. Yeah. Like don't fight with me, just go do it. <laughs> it's a, you know, if you're going to be on TRT, you have to manage that. It's also from my knowledge, very common in athletes who take anabolic steroids. It's just, I personally don't coach anyone who does. And I have very limited knowledge of, of steroids because I'm a natural athlete. And so I don't mess with that at all. So, but from my knowledge, if somebody listening to this is on any sort of anabolic, you may see that you may see that high hematocrit the same as you would, if you were on TRT.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just go donate blood every eight weeks. It's free. It's actually very healthy. It's like an oil change um, for your blood. <laughs> it's very healthy. Uh e- even if yours isn't high, it's not a bad thing to go do. But if it's high, definitely go do it. Because if not, yeah, it's it can be especially as you get older. Like that's an important thing. Here's yeah. here here's the to me, this is kind of the, the big one. It's not the most important, but this is the big one. Let's talk about testosterone and free testosterone. Um, We'll probably spend a little bit of time on this one because it's for physique enhancement. This is the one like this is almost, you know, your engine is either able to run it at a racing speed or it's not. And we have to figure out why. So testosterone, what are you seeing typically when it comes to, we'll start with females, natural females. What are you seeing when you have them come to you and- healthy and the ranges that you like to see if you're, if you're comfortable with testosterone levels, because typically it's like zero to 50, this, this labs I'm looking at now say eight to 60, but most likely it's a range between zero 50, zero 60.
1: Yeah. So with testosterone in females, it does depend on age a little bit. And I usually separate that, you know, anyone under the age of 50 versus anyone 50 and over Good idea Um, because testosterone, Because testosterone is going to naturally decline in women specifically as we go through menopause. So you can't expect a 56 year old woman to have these like screamingly amazing testosterone levels. She's naturally just going to decline. It's what our bodies were made to do. It's okay. So I always like, I I almost have two sets of values. Um, One that I like for women, um, like I said, maybe like premenopausal and then anyone who's menopausal and over. And so I don't like to see like a younger woman like 35 and her 20s, even maybe like 40, that much under like 20 or or 25. Um I really like to see her somewhere in there. Although again it does depend too on how she feels. Yeah. And like if If I have a woman who is a little lower than that, but she doesn't have symptoms of low testosterone, I'm not going to mess with it on the same respectfully. If I have a woman who's higher than that, and she doesn't have symptoms of high testosterone, again, I'm not going to mess with it because there is some bio-individuality to all of this, right? We all have different bodies and we all might feel worse or better with certain levels of hormone in our system. Yeah. But typically I would, con- like if I get a woman and her testosterone comes back and it's like a six, that's low, right? right. We're going to be having a conversation. Um, now, if it's a woman who's over 50, 15, 16, 17, that's not uncommon. That's really yeah. common. Like that's, to me, that's par for the course of going through menopause and having declining hormones as we age. Um, and then on the high end, I get concerned if anything is over like 50 or 60, like once we start getting into that 70, 80, 90. And certainly if I see somebody who comes back with like, and I have had this 164, um, 140, like that's excessive, that's way too much androgen. And so then that almost makes me want to look into like a PCOS situation or something like that and see if there's something going on there. Look at her DHEA. Is she shuttling out too much androgen altogether? Um, But yeah, that's, that's what I like seeing at least in terms of, of women. And then for free testosterone, I always try to pay attention to that too. But for me, with free testosterone, man, free testosterone is pretty powerful. It's like a one to two, something like that is yeah. like I'd, I'd be totally okay with that.
0: Yeah, typically know, the ranges, the typically the ranges that I'm seeing are between zero and four. Um, yep. Four is at the top of the free testosterone range, and you're right; it's you don't need a lot of it. That's what's circulating in your body can use, and it's a, obviously a lower number. So someone's total test can be decent, but their free test is low. And that's the thing for a physique enhancement that will give you a snapshot into, okay, how much muscle can you put on? How well are you recovering? So, you're, yeah. if your free test is very, very low, that's something we need to be concerned with because you're probably not going to be able to put on a lot of muscle and you're not always going to feel great. So, you said, you know, one to two, and that's typically that's typically for what women, I like to yeah. see. Yeah. Right in the middle of the range.
1: What do you like to see for men?
0: I like to see right in the middle of the range for natural, natural men, okay. uh, for free test and anything lower that tells me that there's an issue and I start to dig and it's usually things like low sleep and higher cortisol and things like that. Once I can Stress. get all those things stressed. Yes. Once, once we can get those managed, the free test tends to go up, uh, because a guy's total test ranges, typically the, there's a few different ones, but like two fifty to 1100 is a, is a big range. Right. And I like to see most natural guys. I want to see 500 or higher. Um, I see a lot of people that compete quite often guys that theirs are going to be 500 to 600 guys on HRT. Obviously your levels that the doctor give you will dictate. You're going to be at the middle of the range almost always, unless he just gives you a super low dose. Uh, I typically run about 700 to 800, which is right at the middle, upper middle part of the range. Um, just taking 150 milligrams a week. And now if I take 200, uh, it gets me up to like 1100. I don't need to be that high. I don't, I don't want to be that high, you know, sex drives through the roof with if testosterone men and women is too high and, you know, all these different things. And then your estrogen can be a little higher. So it's, I like to see middle, uh, upper middle part of the ranges is, is perfect. Um, but you know I do want to jump in and talk about sex hormone binding globulin. So if someone's yeah. retest test is lower, that's why it's important to get SHBG for sure.
1: Yes.
0: Because what that ha- what happens is is when stress is chronically high, sleep is low, people are drinking booze, like all these different things, sex hormone binding globulin, it's going to give you a range. And typically it's it's at the top part of the range or it's at the higher end of the range. And that tells you it's binding up your free T and that's why it's lower. So to me, it's just kind of a snapshot into you've got some issues going on with cortisol, stress, sleep, whatever it is. And I dig in and I find those out and then I correct those with, with clients. And that almost always gets the free T up.
1: Yeah. Same. I, I tell people all the time, you have to think of sex hormone binding globulin as like the boot on a car and it like it attaches to that hormone in the same way. If you've got a boot on your car, you're going nowhere. If it attaches yep. to that hormone, it's not able to be used by your body. Yeah. So in a sense, it's not that I don't pay attention as much to total testosterone. I do, but if somebody's total testosterone production is maybe slightly lower than I would like it to see, but they're free is great. They might be just fine because their body's taking care of it and they've got enough usable by their body. But with men in particular, fatigue, like poor muscle quality, like yeah. I'm, I want to see free testosterone. Hands down, I almost always see a really low free testosterone. And like men who are just like, I had one client, he was, just constantly exhausted. He was chronically fatigued. He was just really poor muscle tone, even though he worked out all the time. He had poor sleep. He felt like crap. I was on him. I was like, I really think we need to test your testosterone. Finally, he caved and we ran three markers. We ran total testosterone, free testosterone, and SHBG. And lo and behold, his total testosterone production was like a six something. It was great. His free was like a one point, like <laughs> one. Like it was like <laughs> nothing. It was like, it was like right over the line, right? If it had been like, a, it wouldn't have even registered. And I, and his sex hormone binding globule was through the roof. And I'm like, no wonder you don't feel good it doesn't matter that your body is producing that much testosterone. There's so much sex hormone binding globulin. You've got so much boot on the car that that car is going nowhere. Like you're just not able to access that free test that testosterone. And so I, you, I, to me it's useless to look at total T if you don't look at free T. I,
0: I it's agree.
1: Useless.
0: It, one other thing I will say, um, I went on HRT in 2019. I tried everything I could to get it back to normal. And, you know, I was run- typically I was running somewhere around 290, 300 was what mine would come back. No matter what I did. And for a long time, that was my normal. I had cool. adapted to how I felt on, you know, being yeah. about 300, which is very low. And I didn't understand. And I'm saying this so our listeners, get it. You may feel like you're okay because you're used to that. Cause you don't know any
1: different. Yeah.
0: You get your testosterone levels back up, whether it's HRT or you fix them using things like we make hormone optimizer specifically for this. When you actually get your levels back up, then it's almost like a light switches went off. You're like, Holy (laughs) hell, how did I even function before? So it's one of those things to where you may feel like you're okay, but that's just because you're used to it. You don't know
1: how bad you feel until you feel good again. So, um, that's such a good point. Yeah. I find that to be very true with women in progesterone, women who have bottomed out progesterone and we bring their progesterone production back up and they're like, oh my God, I'm not as anxious or irritable or, you know, I don't same with um, thyroid women who have low T3 and they're yeah. ju- just, they're fatigued and they're constipated and they're lethargic and they feel like sluggish and their body's not responding. And you get that T3 production up and they're like, oh my God. What, like what just happened? I feel flippin' amazing. Um, Cause I that, think low progesterone in women, specifically active women, it's so very common um, to have low progesterone. Um, yeah. Getting that progesterone back up can be the, can be the equivalent of getting some guy's testosterone back
0: up. Yeah. It, and it's one of those ones Um We'll probably do a deep dive on that specifically and some of the other female hormones, because that one is definitely a podcast in and of itself with the different phases and things like that. (laughs) Um, You mentioned thyroid. That's next on my list. But right before that, cortisol is typically included um, Mm -hmm. whenever you get labs done. And let's talk about the difference in that. I don't like to look at the cortisol on a blood test because it's just a snapshot of your total cortisol in the body right then and there. I like a four point saliva. I know you're the same. Um, Talk about why this isn't necessarily the best way to look at cortisol, because I've seen all those markers that come back like sex hormone binding globulin reverse T3, which we'll talk about here in a bit that when those things are high, I know cortisol um, is high, but someone can look at their cortisol on a blood test and it comes back and it's perfectly fine. Or it's even lower end of the range. And they're like, well, my cortisol says it's fine. Talk to us about blood cortisol versus, you know, getting a saliva test.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to cortisol and just the function of the adrenals in general, I like a four point saliva with the DHEA. And the reason why I like a four point saliva with the DHEA is because cortisol is naturally meant to fluctuate throughout the course of the day. So you really want to look at what that cortisol curve is doing. Um, And in order to do that, you need four points throughout the day because a healthy, normal cortisol curve, right? if we had the ideal, it would be high in the morning and it would gradually decline throughout the day as the body prepares for sleep so that you're able to go to sleep at night. When people get a serum cortisol, first off, it's just one data point. Second of all, a lot of people get stressed before they give blood. And so I usually find that cortisol can be I don't want to say unnaturally high, but it's going to be flagged as high because you're producing more cortisol because you are stressed because most people don't like giving blood the act of going to the lab, doing it fasted, get, you know, it's a pain in the butt. Everybody gets stressed out. And so they've got this high cortisol. Um, and the other reason I don't like just going off of a morning serum cortisol like that is because we do want cortisol to be high in the morning. All right. Let's say somebody's cortisol is high in the morning. They get their blood drawn in the morning. And then they're like, oh my God, my cortisol is really high, but I don't know. It might come down throughout the rest of the day. I don't know. And if it comes down naturally throughout the course of the day, I would consider that to probably be healthy. I wouldn't consider that to be a high cortisol situation. There can be a lot of different patterns of cortisol dysfunction that manifest and chronically elevated is just one of them. Yeah. When it comes to treating adrenal dysfunction, you want to be so careful that you don't just assume cortisol is high because if you assume cortisol is constantly high and you help try to help somebody lower it, let's say it's not constantly high. Let's say maybe it bottoms out at later in the day or something like that. I mean, you might, might live a bit. may wind up really inducing some negative health ramifications in somebody if you're treating them as if they have chronically high cortisol, but maybe they don't, maybe it gets lower. And then you're trying to lower it even further. So with cortisol, it's just, I've made the mistake in the past when I was a, when I was a novice with all this, of just looking at a single data point with cortisol and a serum cortisol. And now I don't even pay attention to that marker. If some, if I suspect any kind of adrenal issue, I'm going to encourage the client to get a four point diurnal also look at DHEA production. And we go from there. If I suspect any adrenal issue, that's where I'm going
0: Yeah, and that's something you you talk about. Whole podcast in and of itself is adrenal insufficiency. You know, adrenal fatigue, and Mm -hmm. that's something to where you know four point saliva will really clue you in on what's going on with the body. We don't have a ton of time left, so I wanted to get to and this this is another one that again a whole other podcast in and of itself. But let's talk about the thyroid specifically: TSH, T four, T three. But then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, reverse T3, uh, depending on how much time we have. But this is this is an important one. I, I think it's important for us to talk about the ranges that we both like, because the ranges that we'll see and a doctor will look at, it's not necessarily the ranges that are optimal for physique enhancement, for being as lean and, and as muscular as you can be. So like TSH is one of those things that come back. I like to see a, a 2.0 or lower, you know, that's the thyroid uh, stimulating yeah. hormone. And if it's really high, that means your body's working really, really hard to get everything kicked out in a sequence to ultimately lead to T3, which is a snapshot of your metabolism. That's your, your circulating thyroid hormone. Uh, TSH, what do you like to see um, with your folks on those? Yeah. Numbers?
1: Like somewhere somewhere between a point five to like a two somewhere in there, yeah. anything over a two and I'm going to worry. <laughs> yeah. Um even if the clinical range won't flag it as high, I'm still going to worry a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those to me it's another marker that when it comes back high, I'm usually seeing the other clues that cortisol is chronically high, sleeps off, like all these different things. When I see a highly stressed individual, I see a higher TSH. It, and by the way, it's not a lot of people think of a, a higher TSH and things like uh hypothyroidism and they think of people that are their body fat's real high and things like that. I have got plenty of people that look great that have a high TSH because they're really, really stressed. It means that they're you can't look at the way someone's carries their body fat percentage. You can't look at someone's physique and and judge their metabolism and their thyroid, right? Like it's one of those things to where it comes down to how functional it is. And you can look great and you can put your body through hell and you're going to have issues with the thyroid. Um talk about the other the other markers that you like to see.
1: Yeah, so I like paying attention to um total T4 and and total T3, but more importantly free T3 and free T4, which If you know, and we just spoke about sex hormone binding globulin and the way in which that binds to testosterone and renders some of it unusable by the body. Well, there's, I think it's TBG or something like that, is thyroid binding globulin or thyroxine binding, something like that. It, It will bind, it will bind to thyroid hormone as well, and it will render it unusable by the body. So you always want to pay attention to free because that's what's unbound and able to be used by the tissues. Yeah. And even out of those two, free T4 and free T3, I pay the most attention to free T3 because that's the active thyroid hormone. Me too. That's what's that's what's responsible for energy production, hormone production, bowel movements. I work with a lot of gut health clients. So I work with a lot of people who have constipation. I want to look at that free T3. And I like to see it somewhere between five and seven on the up end, even though Clinical reference ranges will usually say it's okay if it's a two. If it's a two to me, that is still too, that's still too low. Um, so I always want to see it between a five and a seven and then free T4. I do like looking at free T4 because let's say that free T4 is normal, but the T3 is low. That indicates a conversion issue. So then I'm going to look at the liver and the gut. Um, I like free T4 to be somewhere between 15 to like 23 somewhere. Like, again, I want it on that up end, even though most labs will say it's okay. If it's a 12, I want to see it on the higher end. I always like the higher end of normal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and some of these, some of these, our folks might be listening and, and looking at their labs, and there's going to be different ranges based on the labs and the company that you yes. go through too. So remember, some of these ranges, you're like, whoa, like the, my mine are nowhere near any of these. You just have to look at your actual ranges, and sometimes you can just get on Google and do the conversion. You know, some are in nanograms per deciliter, and maybe yours come back in milligrams per deciliter, and you just need to do the conversion. So there's always going to be a little bit of that on, on the T three. The lowest I like to see it's a three. Um, if, if I know if people can get to a three or higher based on the ranges that are coming back on like the life extension labs, um a three or higher mm-hmm. there, I feel a little bit better about so reverse T3 is is an yeah. interesting marker to look at. And you know, when our bodies are highly stressed, it your body tries to slow itself down and it takes free T3 and it converts it over to the unusable reverse T3 and it's trying to slow your body. Like your body does not care how lean and muscular you are. It's trying to do its operations, right? It's trying to keep you into a certain range. So reverse T3, it comes back. And I typically see anything that's like a 14 or higher tells me there's something really bad going on. I think From what
1: I know of you, you're what? You you don't like to see like a 10 or higher? I don't like to see a 10 or higher. I'm really anal about this marker. Yeah. Um, So you're right. You know, it sort of acts like a break to stop T3 production. Um, Instead of T4 converting into T3, it converts to RT3, first T3, which is like a form of T3 that Walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, but not it's not really a duck. Your body can't do anything with it. And this happens right. during stress. I also pay specific attention to it because it does tend to indicate um a liver issue or a gut issue, um, something going on in the in the liver or the gut. And so I will always pay attention to that. Um I have no I think RT3 is fascinating. I have no idea why it doesn't get the attention it deserves in conventional medicine. Yeah. But whenever I order a thyroid panel, I always have reverse, always, 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 always.
0: It costs extra. Maybe Uh, it's it's a decent amount extra. Maybe that's why most docs are like, nah, like we don't need to run that. Um, But I like to make sure my clients get it because for us, to me, it's a nice snapshot into all right, your, your T3 is low. Let's look at your reverse T3. Boom. It's higher. So typically it's a stress cortisol, sleep, like all these different things. And and honestly, I feel like a broken record, but even coming back to, I, I give a talk on how to bring up your um, testosterone levels whenever I speak at events and it's one of the most popular talks I do. And a lot of it boils down to chronically elevated cortisol. And I'm seeing that as enemy number one in physique enhancement. Cortisol is not a bad thing. It's the chronically elevated cortisol. And that's another podcast in and of itself. Um, but these are nice little snapshots. And, and I don't think we've really left anything out. I know we're right pretty close to an hour. Um, I felt like yeah. we've done these in detail, but I'd like to have you back on so we can do deep dives. Um, and, and maybe a group of us can do some deep dives. I think there's a lot of yeah. good stuff here, a lot of meat on the bone. And this has been a yeah. great first episode that you're the perfect guest to have on to, to, it's nice to have a guy and a girl too, because yes. I, I'm a, I'm a bro. I'm a, I'm a dude. I can sit here and talk about women's numbers all day long because I've been doing this for a long time, but it's another thing to have a female expert on because, you yeah. can also talk from experience. So I really like the the back and forth. And yeah. uh, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, John. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah. I've got all of um, Allie's information here in the show notes. You guys can find out where to get labs. You can find out if you ever want to get a hold of her or get a hold of me. Our yes. email addresses are in there. I've got all your contact stuff. Um, and this isn't the last episode we're going to do on this. We've got uh, a lot of more good content for myself and Allie. We're out of here. See you guys.